My name's Stephen. Uh, really glad you're here. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, this is kind of the first traditional large group that we're having this year. Um, last week we had some fun. This week we're going to start getting into, the, into God's Word a little bit. And um, we kind of have a theme this year. Um, and we're, as we, we, we do this kind of part of our Wednesday nights, we're going to look at God's Word. We're going to look at the Bible, see what it has to say about our lives. And our theme for this year is, is it worth it? And um, so throughout this year, we're going to be asking that question about Jesus and about other things and about what we're giving our life to. And so um, to begin this evening, um, I want to tell a story. To kind of kick off this series, I want to tell you guys a story, all right? And the story is of this guy named Saul. Some of you guys might have heard of this dude, um, but he was a dude that lived a couple thousand years ago. Um, he was a young man born in the Middle East, uh, born in the city of Tarsus, which is where like modern day Turkey would be. Um, and he was born into a Jewish family. Uh, both his parents were Jewish. But unique about his family was both his parents were actually also Roman citizens. What we're going to see about Saul tonight is he was kind of a really, really unique guy in history because he had some advantages and privileges that not many people throughout history have had, um, specifically at that time. And so he, he, he was a Jewish man born into a Jewish family, but both of his Jewish parents had Roman citizenship, which was really, really unique at that time. Because as most of you probably have at least heard in your history classes throughout high school um, or here on campus, the Roman Empire was this massive, one of the largest empires in the history of the world, one of the most populous and one of the most dominant. And um, the, the Jewish people, Israel, was one of the nations uh, subject to Rome and to the Roman Empire. And so as a Jew... To have Roman citizenship in the Roman Empire is a really unique thing. The subjugated people of the Roman Empire did not often have citizenship in Rome. And what this means is that, like, that gave, gave Saul a bunch of benefits in his life, like a bunch of extra, like, legal benefits. Um, like, he got a vote in assembly. He had the opportunity um, to, to own land and property, which, if you didn't have Roman citizenship, you could not own land in the Roman Empire, unless they gave it to you. Um, you couldn't buy it. They had exemption from taxes. Um, they couldn't be flogged or beaten. They could not be executed unless they were found uh, guilty of treason. Um, basically, this, this, this guy had this really unique space where he was not just a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. A very unique advantage um, in, his, in his life. And we're going to see that that's really important for who the man Saul is. Uh, but Saul wasn't just a Roman. He was, like I said, he was a Jewish man, right? Um, and he loved his Jewish heritage. Um, he, uh, he, he, he felt deeply the, the Jewish bloodline, his, uh, the people that he came from, he cared deeply for them. And because of this deep love for the Jewish people um, and their history, he wanted to know the God of his people, the God of the Jews. And so uh, for his education, he actually sought to learn from a rabbi at that time. That's kind of how you learn the traditions of, um, of the Jewish religion. And so he actually had the opportunity to learn under one of the greatest uh, rabbis of his time. His name was Rabbi Gamaliel. He was like, he was like the Gordon Ramsay of rabbis, yeah? If like, you want to know how to cook, you go to Gordon Ramsay, right? You want to know how to be a Jew, you go to Rabbi Gamaliel. Uh, you want to know how to play hoops, you go to John Wooden. You want to know how to be a Jew, you go to Rabbi Gamaliel. Um, the point is, is he had this really unique opportunity to learn under one of the greatest Jewish teachers of his time. Um, and so he, as a, uh, as a man who loved his people, who loved his history, who loved um, his, his heritage, he got the opportunity to learn under that man. Um, he was afforded the opportunity not only of being a Roman citizen, a unique privilege, um, but he was also afforded the opportunity to study the faith of his forefathers under one of the greatest teachers that, his, that, that existed in his time. And so... Uh, 
both of those kind of two things to point to the fact that Paul, Saul grew up in these special circumstances, these very, very unique circumstances. And um, he had privileges and rights of a Roman citizen. And on the other hand, he was trained as a, as a, as a Jewish leader, as a leader of the Jewish faith. Um, and as this man with these kind of two unique combinations uh, was kind of became a, a sort of a leader of his people. And uh, throughout his life, he had these events which pointed to the fact that he became a, a, a standard for his people, a leader, uh, someone they looked to as, as their leader. Um, and so I just want to pause really quick. I want to push pause on our story, and I want to kind of like try and weave ourselves into, into kind of the context here of Paul. And what I mean by that is I, I want to ask you guys a question, okay? Um, the question I want to ask you is, uh, what is it that you hope to accomplish in life? Really light question, right? Not philosophical at all. Really, what, right, what, you, right, what you want to hear after a long day of classes. What do you want to accomplish in life? Um, now, I get that, like, to answer that question, you can't just answer the one question with one simple answer. There's, like, that, that, that's a nuanced answer. That's a deep answer that requires thought and a conversation. But I just want you to, for me, really quick, I really want you to consider that question for yourself. What is it that you hope to accomplish in life? Perhaps we can get to that answer by way of deduction in here. Let's ask another more simple question. Why do you study for exams? That's not rhetorical. I'm actually asking someone asking me. Why do you study for exams? Get good grades, yeah? Why do you want to get good grades? To pass. Why do you want to pass? To graduate. Why do you want to graduate? Why do you want to get that slip of paper that says, you know, I know how to study? A job? Maybe grad school? Maybe med school? Maybe law school? Right? Space Force, that's why I should have done that. Um, so my point here is uh, we, like the reason you spend, if you, if you extrapolated that all the way out, the reason that you are up until 3 a.m. with the Red Bull and Sour Patch Kids in the library is because you want to get, you want to get to law school. You want to get a career. You want to get on a career path, a successful one. You want to get into grad school. You want to accomplish something with that. You're, all that effort you're putting into those, those late night study sessions for an exam, they're aimed at something. Um, you endure the cost of your time. You endure the cost of paying the amount of money you pay to go to school. You endure the relational cost of like spending time with your nose in a book and not with friends. Like that, that's costly. You endure that because you're aiming at something. And the, the cool thing about like this context right here is that almost every single one of you in here are in that same boat. Like almost every single one of you in here are all investing in and paying the cost of studying for your exams, for your degrees, for your career, for your future. And so like that, that homogenous like, like thing is something you can have, we all have in common in here. And so um, for every single uh, one of those questions that we started with, why, why do you study for an exam? All the way out to like, why do you want to get, um, to, to why do you want the degree, get into grad school? All of those I'm building to a point, and I, I want to suggest to you something, okay? I want to suggest to you that the reason you're actually investing so much into that bio exam isn't just because you want the MD after your name someday, it's because you want the prestige and the honor of having the MD after your name someday. I would suggest that the reason you want the, the degree in business or accounting or finance isn't just because you want a successful, a successful career in and of itself, you want the financial security of a career in business, in finance or accounting. 
See, it's not just the degree or the potential career that you're investing in here with those late night study sessions. You're after something bigger than just a career, right? Um, like that's gonna look different for almost every single one of us. Some of us, it's, it is the financial security of a really good job. It's the comfort. It's not having to worry about money. It's being able to buy whatever you want, do goodads and widgets and whatever, right? For some of us, it's, like I said, it's the prestige, it's the honor, it's the recognition of accomplishing something really special. For some of us, it may be like a career that you just really enjoy doing. Like you really like learning about bugs. So you want to spend your life doing something that brings you joy. <laughs> Maybe for some of us, it's, it's none of those things. Maybe it's like uh, you just want to prove to yourself that you can do something. You want to lift yourself out of your circumstances, out of your financial circumstances, out of your social circumstances. My point in saying all of this is that you're aiming at something really, really big with those late night study sessions. And so I wanna, the reason I wanted to get there is because all of those kind of long, big, lofty things that we aim at, this Saul guy, this Roman Jewish rabbi Saul had all of those. He had the comfort, the security, he had the, the, uh, the social capital, he had the recognition, he had the power, he had the wealth. Um, almost everything that, that we just used as an example to aim at Paul, Saul had all of those things. He had all of those things as the man he was. Um, they were realities for him as they are prospects for you guys. Uh, now getting back to our story, um, it kind of takes a little bit of a dark turn for Saul. Um, he, uh, he lived in this generation that kind of followed the events surrounding the life of Jesus. And, um, and as the Christian faith began to explode, as Jesus began to influence the world, um, as, as Christians began to influence the world, Saul was actually one of the Jewish religious leaders that uh, was tasked with hunting down and stamping out this Christian faith. Paul was one of those men put on the front lines of the fight against Christianity. Uh, he, was, um, he, he was likely present at a lot of the... At, if not a lot, several of the, the martyrs' deaths, deaths of Christians as they were proclaiming Jesus. Um, there's actually a story in Acts where um, a dude gets stoned to death and the crowd bring their cloaks to Saul and like in a, in a show of deference, they like lay them before Saul and Saul gives them like a nod of affirmation, like he did a good thing in killing a man. So this guy Saul, as he had all of these, this Romanness, this Jewishness, this like education and this power, he was put in a position and as we're going to see, wanted to be in this position to stamp out this, this blossoming Christian, Christian faith. Um, he actually, he would, he would go on to like ravage the church. He would go into houses and like arrest Christians and incarcerate them. And he wouldn't do it to just like men. There's a spot in Acts where he actually arrests women too, but not real common in the ancient world. It was normally men that were put in prison for things like that, for heresy and um, for religious, not just religious, but many crimes. It was men that took most of the, um, the brunt of that. Let's see. So why the progressive intensity of Paul as he went from um, this prestigious, honorable, wealthy, powerful man to killing Christians? Um, the reality is, is this Christian faith, this new burgeoning Christian faith, this faith that comes out of the Jewish faith, it threatened all of those things that Saul had. Everything that Saul had worked for in his life, all that wealth, that power, security, that comfort, 
all of it was, was put at risk by the Christian faith. So he fought to contain it. Uh, yet our story, as most do, has another twist. Um, something really unique happened to Saul, something that had, did not happen to very many people. Um, while Saul, while he was on his way to a, uh, a city called Damascus to extradite some Christians and put them in, in prison, he, uh, he, he has this experience, this experience that we, can, we find recorded in Acts 9. Um, chapter, Acts, chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, we see this experience Paul had on this road as he's walking to, to arrest Christians. So Acts 9, verse 3 now as he went on his way, that's Paul, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men were traveling with him, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although, the, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. See, this is the genesis of Paul's story. This man Saul would eventually become the man Paul. And Paul would become one of the heroes of the Christian faith. And that moment, that moment on the road to Damascus is where Saul would become Paul. That is the point in time where all of um, that, that this, this Roman Jewish rabbi man who, who had everything that he, he, he could ever want, everything you could ever want in your career, in your chase for a career, in your chase for education, in your chase, chase for success, Paul had all of that. And in that moment, we're gonna see he was willing to give it up because that event changed everything for Paul. See, in fighting against Christians, Saul thought that he was preserving the faith of his forefathers. He thought he was protecting his personal realities. He thought he was protecting truth as he experienced it, when in reality, he was actually waging war against those things. So I want to just uh, quickly again uh, pause, and I want to I point something out. If, if you're in here and um, you're like just checking out this Christian thing, or you're really questioning what you believe or you're, you're, just, you're not sure what you believe. You're just, just really trying to explore, trying to understand, and trying to learn what others believe. Um, I think this moment for, in, in the story of Saul and Paul is a really significant one for you. And I say that because what Paul experienced here is a really a microcosm of what the entire world would eventually experience. This drastic, massive transformation. Now, on a, how... Have you guys noticed how religious people love to change, like change traditions and change what they do, like changing you know, Sabbath days and all that stuff? No, religious people hate change. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's like one of the reasons much of our modern culture hates the idea of relig traditional religion is because we refuse to change. Because as we refuse to change and evolve, as culture evolves and changes, like religious people don't often change. It's not something we see. And so the, the, the point I'm making here is if you're unsure about this Christianity thing and you're really questioning your beliefs, um, I just want to emphasize that something massive happened in the life of Paul. Something massive happened in the ancient world. And you have to do something with that. 
Because the man Jesus Christ existed. That's, that's not just a biblical fact. It's not just something Christians believe. That's something most historians believe. Jesus existed. Jesus was a teacher and Jesus died. And around the time of Jesus' death, the Christian religion happened and the world was changed by it. Our country basically exists mostly because of the Christian religion. Like there are, there are historical, it's an historical fact that the Christian religion happened around the time of Jesus' death. And so my point to you as a skeptic or as a questioning or as a seeker or whatever is you have to, if you want to be intellectually honest with your pursuit of truth, you have to examine that. You have to look at that. You have to look at the fact that the world changed around the time Jesus died. Now, one explanation given by many, uh, well, a couple of like the most the brilliant, the most intellectually uh, superior, that was too sarcastic. Some of the, the sharpest skeptics of our culture, like um, if you've heard of David Hume or uh, Richard Dawkins, atheists, writers, speakers, um, one of their biggest arguments is that religion is all about power, this grasp for power, this, this, this longing and leap for power, that religion was built in a way so as to grab power and exercise it over those who don't have it. Um, and they suppose that religion is a way of achieving that, and that's why it's appealing to people. I can tell you, it doesn't take a historian to look at almost every single disciple and apostle and say if they were after power, they're doing it really wrong. These are guys that were tortured, that were marginalized in society, that had their money and their possessions taken away, that had their families taken away, that many of them were killed. If they were after power, they did a pretty terrible job. Well, if it wasn't about power, then it was about something else, right? Like wealth or, or some kind of uh, manipulation to, to get after something else, right? Well, if you know the story of Paul, uh, you know that he wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. He actually wrote them from prison cells. If he was after wealth, Christian religion was the way to do it. If he was after recognition and, and worldly acclaim, getting thrown in prison isn't the way to do it. See, my point in all of this is to say that the magnitude of change that happened around the time of Jesus is so significant historically it's significant biblically, but it's also significant historically that you have to examine that. You have to look at that. So I want to return to our story. And um, as we open this year with this idea of is it worth it, um, I just want to ask the question, is Jesus worth it? If you're on a college campus, there's uh, Many, many things to give your life to, uh, many things to give your time to, your energy, your relationships. As we talked about earlier, education, there's many things down the road to give your education to. Uh, but I want you to read something with me really quickly. Uh, and it's, in, it's actually something Paul himself wrote. Uh, and I want, what I want you to keep in mind is the story of Saul that we just experienced together, okay? This Roman, this Jew, this rabbi, this leader, this is the same guy that uh, the guy that's writing this is the same guy that experienced all of those, those intangibles we talked about. So uh, Philippians 3, the, the text that Alan read earlier, 4b through 11. Um, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, 
I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss as compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, this Paul is the same Saul that had everything he could ever want, that had the power, the wealth, that had the security and the comfort. This is the same man that had attained every piece of power, every piece of wealth, every piece of recognition and satisfaction that anyone in their right mind could possibly want. And what does he call all of that? He calls it rubbish, trash, garbage, worthless, nothing. What Paul once considered worth giving his life to, worth giving his career to, his education, his his family, his life, calls worthless. But I want to read it one more time with you guys, okay? And I want you to pay attention to why he calls it worthless, okay? The, 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 there's a couple reasons you could, the, you could logically think of why they're worthless. He failed in, in, as, as a Roman, and so his Romanness became less significant. He failed as a Jew, so his Jewishness became less significant. Um, it, 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 and it's not as if Jesus just kind of was slid in to like the list of priorities in his life at the top. Something greater happened than that. And so I want to read that text one more time with you guys. And I want you to pay attention to why Paul is calling all of those things rubbish. Let's, just read, the, it, 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 let's read the entirety of those verses again. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake, for the surpass count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Paul is describing the, the surpassing worth of Christ. It's not that Jesus is slid in atop his priority list. It's that Jesus is exponentially more significant than anything he's ever experienced in his life. Everything about who he was as a man, Saul, compared to the value of Jesus amounted to an iota of nothing. See, next to the, internal, the eternal implications of Christ, the material wealth and implicit power that he had accumulated became meaningless. The joy and peace experienced 
in Jesus dwarfed the joy and peace that he experienced in his Roman or Jewish citizenship. Paul had something that changed him, and what changed him was the gospel. God revealed to him, literally, as we saw, God literally revealed to him the beauty of Jesus, and everything in his life changed. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. And this is kind of a description of what happens when you experience and you get to see the beauty of Jesus. So 4, verses 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, that's the gospel that we proclaim, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, that's God creating, God creating the earth. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul saw the gospel. You see, when you get done with school and, um, and you step out into your career or into grad school or wherever it is um, that you're trying to get to with your degree, um, will that corner office, will that MD, will that JD, uh, will that paycheck, will that recognition, will it be worth it? all the time, all the sacrifice, all the effort, all of the energy, is that worth it? When you, achieve to, when you achieve everything that you set out to achieve in your career, in your education, or in your personal life, when you achieve those things, will it have been worth it? You guys, history is replete with CEOs and celebrities reaching the heights of fame and the riches of kings. How many times have we read quotes or seen quotes of Marilyn Monroe talking about how fickle fame is, how fleeting and fickle fame is? Or artists like DMX talking about the financial security, how that brings nothing but heartache. Our own culture today is riddled with the brokenness that ensues when what is most valuable to us is reached and yet it is found lacking in satisfaction. And I get it, it's hard. It's hard for us to actually understand that, right? Broke college students. Like, if only I had a hundred more dollars, much less a hundred million more dollars, right? Like, it's hard to actually understand that. But that's why, that is, actually, that is what we're after here at GCF, is that you get to see, as Paul did, the glory of the beauty of Jesus. That you get to see the, the worth and the magnificence of who Jesus is. And that when you take the two and you compare the glory of Christ to a career in whatever, that this means nothing compared to the overwhelming magnitude of the beauty of who Jesus is. That's what we're after. We want you to see like Paul did. You see, to be truly Christian, to follow through on the commands of Christ is not just to mentally ascend that Jesus lived, lived the perfect life, died and rose again on the third day and died for our sins. It's not just a mental ascent that that is true and that that happened. To be truly Christian is to see. 
It's to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is to see it and give your life to it. It's not, an, it's not enough just to believe the truth. It's to see the beauty of Jesus, to be moved by the weight of Jesus and to give your life to Jesus. See, Jesus is so vastly more valuable than whatever it is Saul or you or I hold most dear. We often, if you, if you stick around here, you'll hear this phrase, um, what is humanity's greatest problem? Um, what is humanity's greatest problem for those vets out there, GCF vets? Separation from God, right? Separation from God. Humanity's greatest problem is separation from God because separation from God is the only, it's the only thing that has consequences into eternity. Every other failure, every other suffering, every other pain, it ends eventually. The one that doesn't is separation from God and separation from a, a relationship with your creator. And so why was Jesus so much more valuable to Paul than everything he'd accomplished and acquired? Why was he willing to give up all of that for the sake of Jesus? Because Jesus offered an eternity of joy, not just a lifetime of it. He offered an eternity of peace, not just a couple of years. He offered an eternity of comfort. Jesus offered Paul a prestige, the prestige of not being known and praised by man, but being known and exalted by God himself. See, the irony about all those intangibles we talked about, when we were talking about the very beginning, about you chasing something with your education, the irony of what you're chasing is that they are found most fulfilled in Christ, not your career and education. There is more comfort in the security of your eternity than in any financial security you could ever experience. There is more prestige in being known by God than being known by any man. You see, everything you want out of your education, everything you're aiming at with those late night Red Bull Sour Patch study sessions, Everything you're aiming at is found perfect in Christ. Now, you can listen to all of this and you can listen to this, this, this message or whatever and you can, you can hear, uh, so I can stop caring about my grades, right? I can stop giving a bleep about my grades, you know, right? I can stop trying. I don't need to try anymore. Um, but that's not, what, that's not what Paul says. That's not what God's word says. That's not at all what we're after. Look with me in Colossians 3.17. Actually got a turn there. All right, we got it. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You see, giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean you stop caring about your education, but giving your life to Jesus doesn't make you a worse student and actually makes you a better student. You see, um, seeing your education as worthless compared to Christ is not the same thing as seeing your education as worthless because of Christ. Your education actually has more value when given in service to Jesus than it held in white knuckle service to yourself. You see, before Jesus, your future was your future. That's it. 
It's all yours. Before Jesus, your life that you lived was lived for you. Your aim, your goals, they were all shaped in service to whatever made you happy, whatever, whatever, was, whatever brought you that thing that you're aiming at. But with Jesus, your future isn't yours anymore. Your future is his. Your career is his. Your life is his. We've talked about this around here before, but uh, the value of an object is, is often determined by who's holding on to or who possesses or who has that object, right? Um, a pen. A pen in my hands is worth very little compared to a pen in Tolkien's hands, right? I can produce a stick figure. He can produce Middle Earth, right? <laughs> a basketball in my hands. While I love a basketball in my hands, um, I can hit threes in Grant's face all day. I can put Cam in a spin cycle a dozen times and it can bring me the joy of seeing him on his butt on the gym floor. But compared to a basketball in LeBron James' hands, that translates to a lifetime $1 billion contract with Nike. The value of an object is often determined by, the val by, by who's holding it, by who owns it, by who's possessing it. And so your life in your hands is limited. Your value is limited, but your life in Jesus' hands is limitless. Your life in Jesus' hands has eternal implications. See, Jesus, is it worth it? I'd say so. We're gonna look throughout the, the rest of the semester. Is Jesus worth your time? Is Jesus worth your finances, your education, your career, your suffering, your relationships, your community, your identity, your comfort? We're going to look at all these things. Is Jesus worth those things? And throughout the year, we're going to have Tyler and Johnny and myself and uh, businessmen and people in the medical field and a missionary talk about why Jesus is worth those things. And I just want to what I want to do to close tonight is I just want to, uh, I want to read that main text again. But when we read it this time, I want you to think about those things that you hold most dear, the comfort, the security, the joy, the happiness, the prestige, the uh, whatever it is, where Paul's talking about all those things he had as Saul. I want you to think about those things that you really care about. And I want you to ask yourself, what is most important to you? Is Jesus worth it? So Philippians 3, 4 through 11. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are, uh, we are broken, and we are weak, and we are fallen, and we are finite creatures. And God, we, we so often seek our 
own interests, our own joys and comforts and pleasures. And often we fail to achieve them. And Lord, I just ask that we would rest in the fact that Jesus has already attained them for us. That Jesus is already our comfort. That Jesus is in every way achieved those things that we, that we want to achieve for ourselves. And that by being found in Jesus, we can have the perfection of those things. So Father, we love you. Help us to see. Help us to see the beauty of Jesus. Help us to give our lives every single day to the beauty of Jesus. Help us to commit ourselves to you in service, in deed, and in word. Lord, we love you and we need your help. Father, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.